Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like John, Robin, Janet, Ben, Walker, and Garrett, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store if you feel inclined. So check it out. Today's guest is Justin Lewis. Justin received his bachelor's in aquatic and marine biology from Stetson University and his master's in marine science from the University of South Alabama, where he investigated the utility of vertebral chemistry to infer the natal origin of black tip sharks in the Northern Gulf of Mexico. Justin is a PhD student at the University of Florida, advised by doctors Will Patterson and Dave Shigaris. His research interests include fish life history, population dynamics, and trophic ecology applied to inform ecosystem-based fishery management. He aims to better resolve trophic relationships among small demersal reef fishes and solve the operational challenges preventing systematic collection of summit samples to address the dearth of fish diet data in the Gulf. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thank you for having me. Um, so to kick off, I guess, I'd like to hear what inspired you to pursue a career in fishery science? What kind of started you off on this path? Sure. So I, I guess even when I was, I mean, when I was really young, I, I really liked animals. Mm -hmm. um, and in school, I always... I always enjoyed uh, science and, and math a lot more than I enjoyed English yeah. and, and history. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I tended to do better in those courses. But um, it really wasn't until I guess I got to high school that I started to really think about you know, marine science as a career path. I, mm -hmm. I, I took an oceanography course and uh, an environmental science course. And I was like, oh, like, people uh. get paid to do this stuff like, that sounds pretty nice and you know that was my senior year and you know I, I played a lot of baseball growing up and mm -hmm. I was you know not really good enough to play <laughs> at the next level and so I had to kind of reevaluate my career path since, mm -hmm. since playing professional baseball was sort yeah, of it was not gonna work know, off, off the table uh and and that was around the same time I started getting into uh, fishing mm, uh, yeah. a lot as well. And I was like, oh, this will be great. I'll, I'll become a fishery scientist. It'll make me a better fisherman and I'll get, you know, yeah. to work outside. So, um, so that was kind of, you know, my, my mindset at the time. But uh, when I, when I started my undergrad, um, you know, I really started to, you know, get interested in you know life history and population uh demographics and population connectivity and i really started to enjoy the work itself yeah 
Um, and so it kind of just snowballed from there. And I haven't, I haven't really turned back since I think, you know, I, I was fortunate in that it, it, when I declared a major as an undergrad, that mm-hmm. uh, it was something that ended up, you know, that I, I took to and that it ended up you know, working out or at least getting me this far. <laughs> yeah, you got it right on the first try. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's neat, too, that your um, high school had, you know, oceanography classes and things like that. Would, yeah, it was <laughs> really, nice. it was, it was, uh, so it was, it was, it was, it was a, the course was taught on campus, but it was a dual enrollment course. So I actually got college credit for it, which was pretty nice. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. I know. Um, I wish I'd had that um, in my high school, but it would have been hard to do in Ohio. So <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We didn't have a lot of hands-on. We, I mean, we took a field trip, yeah, uh, to to Florida State's Coastal Marine Lab, mm-hmm. and you know, we did some like trawls at night and things like that, and that was a lot of fun. But but yeah, it was just really, it was really cool just to kind of, you know, learn about some of these processes that. Uh, I don't, it was just really cool to just learn, you, know, uh, sort of try to understand, you know what's going on you know, yeah. in, in nature and just, yeah, which I was just really fascinated by it and some of the patterns that emerge and, you know, some mm-hmm. of the insights that we can get just by, you know, going out there and collecting some data. Yeah. I mean, I think that sums up like kind of my experience too very well. Cause you know, I got into this because I like fish and was like, Ooh, you know, I like animals. I like marine systems. Like (laughs) I would love to be a marine biologist. And then as you learn more and more, I guess, about like the ecology and biology of these species, the puzzles are so cool. And it's like, you kind of get excited about the questions themselves. So I think that's really neat. Um, Yeah, that was definitely, that that definitely happened for for me too. mm -hmm. I, I was, you know, pretty pretty adamant that I wanted to study sharks and yeah you know I've done some yeah I, you know I've done some research on sharks but you know eventually it kind of you know changed and became more question driven mm-hmm. and, and thinking about you know systems that might be you know a, a good place to kind of look at you know the actual yeah you know some of these ideas and theories so and I guess that sets me up for a pretty nice segue to mentioning your shark research. Uh, I'd love to hear more about what you did for your master's thesis. So I guess, could you just kind of briefly describe what that project was um, and what that experience was like? Sure. So um, I did my master's work at the University of South Alabama mm-hmm. uh, in, in Mobile. I was actually down on the Dolphin Island Sea Lab. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, it was it was it was awesome. Uh, the the work itself was uh, uh, aimed at looking at the utility of vertebral chemistry mm-hmm. to infer uh, natal origin of the black tip shark. Yeah, and so um, this is basically um, we're looking at the trace el- the the we're looking at the elemental signatures in their vertebrae mm-hmm. which are have been uh, deposited uh, 
have basically been reflect the environment yeah. that the fish is in. Mm-hmm. I guess, oh, I guess I should just say it's just the same as otolith chemistry. Just with yeah, exactly. Different... <laughs> no, that makes total sense because yeah, that's <laughs> very similar to kind of something I'm doing with my gag research. So it was cool to see, um, you know, how that gets done in other fishes where otoliths aren't really an option. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it's the same basic premise, but what we weren't sure of is whether or not we would have enough kind of natural variability in the system mm-hmm. to actually discern natal origin. Yeah. Uh, and so that was really what we were looking at. And then I also kind of, well, another part of it was looking at the, um, sort of post postmortem contamination and whether or not that would affect the, mm. the vertebral signatures. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so did you, um, I guess just since this is something I've been sort of nerding out over, over the past like month or so writing my proposal, um, like which, I guess, analytes did you look at in their vertebrae? Was it like stable isotopes or? Um... I didn't look at stable isotopes. I just looked at um, trace elements. So okay. I, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. I looked at lithium, magnesium, manganese, mm-hmm. strontium, barium. Yeah, kind of like the standard lead. set. Thanks. Yeah, the yeah the standards. I mean, there were other ones that I I looked at in kind of like a preliminary run, but they were mm-hmm. either below the limits of detection or they were kind of it, the data looked wonky, and so I yeah, wasn't it was really like that might be contamination it. or something. Yeah, yeah, sense. or just something, something, something just looked off. So yeah. <laughs> I didn't really, uh, you know, there's it was we didn't we didn't feel comfortable using that information. Yeah, for it's using like, those elements, you want to make sure that you know, the signals you're finding are actually showing like nursery origin or, you know, whatever you're interested in rather than some other. <laughs> yeah. Phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we, um, we weren't really, we, 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 we weren't trying to tie these, the, the actual signatures to any sort of, you know, process. We we're basically just like, Mm. Oh, do we see differences, you know, in these areas? Are these, you know, patterns consistent from year to year? Yeah. And, you know, what sort of factors do we need to consider when we're sampling these? Do we have to worry? Do we have to treat them a particular way? Or mm-hmm. are these signatures pretty, like, robust to any sort of, like, artifact introduced from handling? So Yeah, that makes sense. And, Just kind of treating them as, like, a tag. Yeah, exactly. And we... um. I, sh- I guess I should also mention that the method that we used was um, laser ablation, mm-hmm. uh, ICPMS. So uh, as opposed to say solution-based yeah. uh, ICPMS, um, which was actually pretty cool because uh, we we got funding to purchase our own instrument. So oh, you know, I got, yeah, so I was behind the wheel of that for this work, which was good and bad. Yeah, <laughs> but it took it. There was this pretty steep learning curve. Oh, I'm sure. Point, I know. But... I feel like those machines are kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah, but it would be really... such great experience to learn how to do that. It would also just be a lot of pressure. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, 
I, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there. Fortunately, you know, I, I, I met some folks that, you know, from other places that I was able to kind of, you know, pick their brains and get some help with, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I ran into trouble, so that was, that was useful. Yeah. But, but yeah, every instrument's different, and <laughs> and like some days they just don't want to, <laughs> they just don't feel like running. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or giving you giving you good data, and you just have to be like, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> I just. It's like the ghost of the it. machine is not having it today. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but awesome. it was great. Yeah, it was a great experiment. Experience. I had a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, I, I remember, you know, after, uh, you know, afterwards and talking to, to, to my advisor, Will, about it, mm-hmm. he was like, you know, what was, you know, what, you know, what was the thing that surprised you the most? And I told him, I was like, that it worked. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I, you know, I was just, I, I, I was really surprised at how, 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 how well this approach worked mm-hmm. as far as, you know, assigning natal origin, you know, yeah. classification accuracies were like, you know, uh, uh, you know, 80 to a hundred percent, depending wow, on the region, yeah. region in the year. Beer higher. <laughs> yeah. Pretty dang good. It was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And what was also neat is that the signatures were pretty consistent from year to year. Oh, that's really nice. And so even, you know, when I pooled the samples from the different years together, we still got high classification accuracies, which is is good because, um, you know, if we were just looking at the the material that was laid down in the vertebrae Mm -hmm. right after the natal mark. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you were to do this on an adult fish, you would want to assign it to, you know, a yearly cohort. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if you're say off by a year or so that could affect your classification accuracy, if you have a lot of interannual variability. So, yeah, that makes sense. um, Well, that's really neat. Pretty cool to see. But I guess, yeah, it's more of a generalizable tool in that way. Yeah, it gives you, it gives, you got some cushion there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really nice. And I guess, yeah, that's good to explain too that like sort of what the application could be of identifying a natal signature. It's like you can take a adult or I guess later life stage shark from somewhere else and kind of infer where they came from, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the, yeah, I guess it would. Yeah, yeah understanding the context of, of, you know, the research is helpful and, and for, for, for sharks, especially ones that use these coastal nurseries, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of um, interest in preserving, you know, essential nursery yeah, exactly. habitat. The fish habitat. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, so that leads to the question, well, you know, what, uh, you know, you know, how do we discern, you know, an essential nursery from like a, yeah. a, a non-essential nursery. And, mm-hmm. and one way that you can do that is by looking at the contribution to the adult stock. And so you would, you could say, well, all right, well, you know, what proportion of the adult population came from this nursery versus that nursery? Mm-hmm. And in general, which nursery, you know, contributes the most yeah. to the adult population. And so that's kind of the, you know, future application for, uh, you know, that, that method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's such like an interesting question and a cool way to address it because I think, you know, the way 
that most people might try and define like a nursery habitat it's like oh there's a ton of juveniles there or like mm-hmm. their abundances are high and they're growing well or something like that but it doesn't necessarily mean that that translates to more adults you know because it's hard out there for a juvenile fish <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, yeah you I might not, not make it <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah uh i whenever you know the, you know whenever i come across you know a, a fish that looks old and you know mm-hmm. or i know or that i know is old because yeah, you've aged aged it. <laughs> yeah i'm just like man i i just like uh, a part of me feels bad because i'm just like man this first this this fish is you know gone through a lot yeah it's, it's like I'm all just, the things it saw and then exactly it. <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. awesome well i think that's a great kind of walk through of what that project was um hopefully get some people maybe interested to look more into different biogeochemical tags i really like them so yeah i think that yeah i think it's yeah it's 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 great i, I think that it's really really neat um that that kind of, that project kind of just like it just worked out worked mm-hmm. out well i i wanted uh, I mean, as far as, you know, me getting to, to work on it, yeah. it was something that um, I w- at the time I was working as an observer uh, mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, the, the coordinator for that program had, you know, been in contact with Will about this project. And I, you know, independently had contacted Will about, uh, you know, graduate school. And he was like, well, I've been talking with John, you know, about this and mm-hmm. he wants, you know, and your name came up. So if you're interested, I was like, well, that's oh, great. Yeah. That was, that well. so, it's nice when things come together like that, yeah, you know, yeah, science was. is a small world. So yeah, that was, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess this is perfect to transition now to your current doctoral research. Um, so I guess there's multiple parts from what I understand, but I know you're kind of investigating small demersal reef fishes and their trophic relationships. Could you walk me through maybe um, the species you're looking at for that and kind of what the system you're studying is like? Um, sure. To start off. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, there's, 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 there's kind of, you know, two, uh, two kind of two parts to my dissertation. There's kind yeah. of this em- empirical part where mm-hmm. I'm looking at um, the trophic relations uh, among small demersal reef fishes in the Northern Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea behind that is, it, well, we really don't have a lot of, trophic, it, we don't have hardly any trophic information for, <laughs> yeah. for these, for these fish. These are, you know, these are non-fishery species. These are, you know, Angelfish, butterfly fish, damselfish, mm-hmm. you know, small serranids, wrasses, blennies. Yeah. Um, that we are, you know, are more interested in studying now because we're realizing that we need to sort of we need to consider uh, the 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 effects of some of the anthropogenic stressors in, mm-hmm. in the case of the in the case of the Gulf of Mexico, you know. Yeah. The effects of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, mm-hmm. you know, line fish invasion, yeah. um, harmful algal blooms, <laughs> uh, climate change. You know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, these unique c- 
chronic and episodic stressors mm -hmm. that uh, may affect fishery species uh, indirectly yeah. through trophic pathways. Mm -hmm. And if we are to consider those in our management decisions and you know, when we are assessing and attempting to mitigate uh, the effects, you know, following disasters, then yeah. we need to understand some of these, these other non-fishery species that up until this point were kind of, I guess, just, you know, nice yeah, to look at. Kind of ignored a little bit. That's interesting too, I guess, um, thinking about how those you know small fishes are the food for the big ones that everyone cares about so much <laughs> yeah so that yeah there's the you know their role as forage for fishery species and also their their role in the in the system so you yeah. know what sort of ecological processes that they're involved yeah. in and you know also you know how much redundancy or specialization do we see among the assemblage Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if, if we, we have a lot of species that, that appear to fill, you know, the same sort of ecological role, then, you know, that may act as a buffer, yeah. you know, if, if we have some sort of disastrous event or, you know, like you know, another oil Yeah, like any like of the <laughs> disturbances happening in the Gulf. Yeah, That's exactly. And so um, right now we, you know, we can kind of use information that people have collected from other systems or mm -hmm. similar species to kind of, you know, make, you know, kind of get an idea of how these, you know, how these fish might be interacting, but um, yeah. we don't really, you know, we don't have any species or region specific information to kind of, mm. you know, base this off of. Yeah. And so that really kind of, you know, really, we don't really know if, if yeah it if, kind of limits how we can actually apply that knowledge i guess because you know yeah we don't know how, how you know how how well information from the other system uh represents you know what's actually going on mm -hmm. in, in in the gulf of mexico yeah. and so the 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 empirical portion of my dissertation comes to address or uh, attempts to address these you know that's specific knowledge gap and then mm -hmm. you know the other portion of my dissertation that we can you know, talk about later is mm -hmm. you know kind of addressing the the general lack of diet data and trophic information that we yeah. need for other species and sort of the operational hurdle that's you know kind of making it difficult to implement a systematic sampling program to fill those data gaps that we need yeah. to inform ecosystem models or ecological indicators. Because mm -hmm. right now in the Gulf, like we can, we can build an ecosystem model, you know, we can do ecosystem assessments, but you know, the data that's available to, to, you know, really do it the way we'd like to do it is, is not there. And, and mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, what, you know, my work is trying to, yeah, it's trying to fix that issue. That's really cool. And I mean, I think it's, you know, important as well that you're kind of outlining how to address that problem efficiently too, and like how resources should be allotted to that effort. Because um, it's, you know, the pre-planning end of things, it's really important to make sure for trying to answer those questions that we're doing it the right way. So, 
but I guess yeah, we I think, can get to that. <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah, well, we can talk about that later. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, as far as the the empirical work I'm doing in the system and the species, so you know, this area of the Gulf of Mexico, it's you know, it's the reefs that I'm working on. You know, they're 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 a lot different than the reefs that you know most people yeah. think about. Mm-hmm. When they, you know, these, these are not tropical coral reefs. Yeah, that's uh, these a good are, point. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the fish, you know, you see a lot of the same taxa. You know, we, we still have, you know, butterfly fish. Mm-hmm. We, we still have, you know, a lot of small wrasses. And they're also really colorful, too. So um, um, there are some similarities there. But the reefs themselves are, are mostly, like, the, the, the structure itself is mostly relic shoreline and, and, you know, biogeogenic uh, bio limestone, mm-hmm. but we don't have, you know, we don't have the, these massive reef building corals like you see in the Caribbean. There's mm-hmm. some coral and algae crust, but like, there's not the, you know, active reef building. Yeah. Um, lots of bryozoans, hydroids, mm-hmm. octocorals, sponges, and gorgonians. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's different different in that respect. But the you know we we have you know the water clarity is really high. You know you're getting sunlight penetrating, you know down you know, eighty meters or so. Oh well. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's uh I'm trying to remember if it. Uh, yeah, there's I think there's some. I've never dove it so. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. For sure, 60 meters, 60, 70 meters. But I was like, maybe yeah. I'm stretching it with 80 meters. <laughs> <laughs> someone could fact check it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, someone can fact check it. Um, but yeah, the in the the these these small commercial reef fish, um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but they were they were hit pretty hard by the oil spill, and mm-hmm. they're also uh, you know vulnerable to lionfish predation, yeah. and so. You know, not not knowing, uh, not having much information on their trophic ecologies, and not really knowing their role, either as forage or you know in other uh, processes, yeah. it makes it just makes it difficult to to uh, 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 kind of yeah. Yeah, it's hard to kind of figure out what those cascading impacts are going to be if sure they're getting eaten or killed. <laughs> so, sure, that's cool. Um, and then what methods have you employed to actually investigate this? Um, could you break them down uh, for people who might be unfamiliar? Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm using stabilized soap analysis um, mm-hmm. uh, of carbon and nitrogen. So yeah. this these, uh, um, the premise behind stabilized soap analysis is pretty simple you you are what you eat mm-hmm. um and so basically you know the stable isotope values of a consumer reflect um the food that has been assimilated over you know uh, a, a, a given period of time so this gives yeah. us kind of a, a time integrated signature of you know it's you know of of it of what it's eaten, mm-hmm. it doesn't give you it doesn't give you the resolution that 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 you get from diet data. Yeah, where you can say you know this fish ate 
12 shrimp and three yeah. fish, you know, and this is the species or, or you don't know what the species is, but mm-hmm. um, what you can, what you can do is you can, you can estimate the contribution of, you know, pelagic or benthic production, which is mm-hmm. really important in marine systems because, um, you know, the, the, the amount of energy that comes in through these pathways is different. Just uh, the, yeah. the, the net flux is different, but also the total throughput through these systems are different. And that influences, you know, how species, but also uh, how species themselves are affected by either, you know, by, by a perturbation, but also mm-hmm. how that perturbation then propagates through the system. So, yeah. so that's helpful there. And then we also um, es- use it to estimate trophic position, which is basically just how far away from that basal resource is that consumer feeding. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that has implications for the amount of energy then available for that consumer, because at each, at each trophic level, there is a loss of energy from respiration and, mm-hmm. and other, uh, you know, other pathways that's lost that's then not available to that next trophic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that represents kind of like a cap, uh, like in terms of the amount of production that, that that can be realized at that trophic position. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to clarify, I think people probably know what you're talking about when you say, I guess, different forms of primary production, but um, that's like, you know, different kind of photosynthetic organisms so in the gulf that would be yeah so it would mostly yeah the so as far as primary producers it would mostly be phytoplankton and benthic microalgae okay uh, or i mean there is there there are some there, mm-hmm. there's also you know macroalgae in the system but um um yeah we it's generally not considered an important source though it may be yeah and, gotcha um, but, but the, um, but also, you know, kind of the, when we talk about benthic versus pelagic production, um, when we, the, the, the pelagic, pelagic production is, you know, phytoplankton in the water column, but benthic production, we group benthic microalgae. This mm-hmm. includes production from benthic micro, microalgae, but also the detritus that's being yeah. recycled. Um, um, yeah, and the detrital pool by bacteria and such. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of food web theory um, that we, you know, apply to kind of describe trophic processes in a system and kind of like look at ecosystem status. There's a lot of theory that draws to, you know, the detrital cycle Mm-hmm. And, and, and things like that. So that's kind of just the, the there's, there's kind of a general interest in that aspect yeah. of it too. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, what you can do with stable isotopes, the fact that you can kind of figure out generally what a fish is eating or at least what, you know, primary producers they depend on and sort of where they shake out. Um, like on the food chain almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, the, 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 uh, when, whenever, so, and when you put that information together, you can, you know, 
you can kind of develop you know, the isotopic niche or, or kind of, mm -hmm. you know, estimate, you know, that space and, and then look at the relationship or, or, you know, where, where consumer, where species and individuals fall within that, you know, this isotopic niche area, which is really neat. Uh, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm hoping to do that as well. I'm looking at the amount of overlap among different species mm -hmm. with, with the, you know, more overlap implying some sort of yeah some kind of competition yeah yeah or redundancy yeah very so. cool awesome well i think that answers all of my big questions about that project um because i think we've already sort of discussed the impact that you want it to have um so i guess we can move on to the next phase of what you're working on. Um, so could you describe kind of what that project is and what impact you'd like that work to have um, when this is all done? Sure, so the, uh, for this portion of my dissertation, it's, it's just, I'm looking at kind of the, the, the lack of trophic data, specifically diet data that's available to uh, parameterize food web models, but also mm -hmm. inform ecological indicators. Yeah, and um, so so we're 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 trying to we're attempting to address the the kind of the 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 question of all right, well, we know we need this data. How do we how do we get it? Mm -hmm. um, and the challenge with diet data is that uh, we we know it's time consuming to collect and process, and that you you need a lot of samples to mm -hmm. to, to really get a a comprehensive look at you know or develop a, you know a comp comprehensive picture of a, a species diet composition. Yeah, but in the Gulf, you know, when we're trying to do that with reef fish, we also have to consider the sources of process air. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, barotrauma. Yeah. Or you know, how many empty stomachs are we going to you know encounter or you know the the digestion rate that's or you know, the high temperature here you know these these basically you know fish can are digested quickly at least to the point where you they can't be id'd which yeah. you know then increases the number of samples that you need mm -hmm. um and so when you combine all of that with the number of species in the system that you know, we are potentially interested in, you're kind of like, well, where do we start? Yeah. And um, so um, this work, you know, we, we're kind of taking a step back and saying, all right, well, let's, let's take, you know, a simulation-based approach and see like under what circumstances, you know, how many samples, how much effort do we need to allocate for, you know, diet reconstruction Mm -hmm. And whether or not we can, um, whether or not we can add some supplemental stable isotopes to maybe reduce the amount of effort that's required, mm, yeah. or maybe in some instances, like we can, you know, get close enough with stable isotopes for certain certain species that you know we can maybe mm -hmm. not focus much energy on them. Yeah, and so. So I'm going to use an ecosystem model to simulate uh, diet composition for consumers, mm -hmm. but also sample these uh, the 
the fisheries independent monitoring surveys. Yeah. So the sampling that they would they would conduct. Because mm-hmm. there's 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 lots of surveys um, that uh, could potentially ca- collect stomach contents and and stabilized tope data. Um, but again, you know, you want to kind of have a plan and a strategy uh, before you implement it. But you also mm-hmm. need to, you know, we're also mindful of the fact that their priority, you know, they have other, you know, obligations as far as, you know, data demands for single species stock assessments and stuff. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to, you know, identify something that would be feasible, yeah. that not too, ta- not too, not too, uh, um, not too difficult for them to implement and mm-hmm. also provide you know enough information that we can get some somewhere on the modeling side of things um and so uh we're, we're going to the the ecosystem model will, will be used to 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 develop you know known diet composition for consumer group yeah and then we can take the information from the, the ecosystem model and put it in an isotope simulator mm-hmm. to generate um, the, the isotope values for that consumer. And so what that involves is knowing the stabilized isotope values of each component in oh. the food web and also the uh, fluxes between them. So oh. we, well, we, can, we can use you know, data that we have on hand um, to actually parameterize the values for the, the ISO values. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can use the um, standing stock, you know, the biomass estimates from the ecosystem model and the flux estimates from the ecosystem model to get, oh. you know, the, um, to simulate the ISO values at, you know, the next time step and so on and yeah. so forth. So it's basically taking the output from the mass balance ecosystem model, mm-hmm. putting it in the simulator, with the isotope values that we give it to get the isotope values at the next step. Yeah. Well, that's really cool to think all the way through that process. It's sort of, you're generating your own system to study. Yeah. And so um, the, what's, what's helpful with this is that we can, you know, we, we, we're trying to get back to a known value. Mm-hmm. And so we can, we can, you know, imp, you know, kind of, Say if you know if we we had if if we sampled in this manner you know, and we're going to try to reconstruct the diet of say a red snapper mm-hmm. you know how well does that correspond to like what we know is actually the case because we simulated it yeah um, and so yeah it, it's gonna be it'll be really neat and and you know we're 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 you know the the idea here too is to kind of. We want to inform, you know, the, the you know, we want to give, you know, provide some sort of recommendations when you're trying to structure a trophic mm-hmm. sampling uh, program, but also, you know, it gives us a way to kind of see how useful this information would be if we applied it, you know, in, in like a particular context. And so yeah. um, um, we were, were, you know, we're going to simulate different stressor scenarios as well mm-hmm. to see if, you know, if you're doing this to uh, also like as a trophic monitoring program, not just like we're just checking species off the list for <laughs> diet composition, Yeah. right? So, you know, would, would, would 
would this approach be sensitive to, you know, these different stressors and maybe mm. provide like an early warning sign that, you know, you have some, there's some yeah. sort of like trophic implications. And, and so that, that my point, you know, we're, we're also going to do that using a, a simulation based approach with, with the isotope and diet data. Yeah, that's really cool. I'd never thought of that, but I guess, yeah, you could kind of simulate characteristic scenarios of different disturbances so that we can spot it or see if we even have the capacity to actually spot it when it happens or if it happens in real life that's really neat yeah it's the it's I was when I was um I mean I didn't I guess I should say like when when I first learned about ecosystem modeling and 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 or I guess was introduced to it I was I was really skeptical Mm -hmm. about it um I, I was just kind of thinking, I was like, well, we, you know, we can't even model single species. Like, how are we going to model? Yeah. Whole system? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I'd imagine other folks thought that too, mm-hmm. but um, what I've come to learn is, is that, you know, the objectives of ecosystem models, they're, they're, well, you know, they can really address a lot of different objectives. They're actually yeah. really, really versatile um, and there's certain things that they're really useful for and, you know, other things, you know, maybe not so much. Um, and so I think one thing that I've learned just kind of just with time is just picking the, 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 the right, uh, the right tool for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and um, there's just a lot of different ecosystem models out there and just like a lot, there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool things you can do with them. Yeah, that's so um, neat. I think I had a pretty similar kind of experience um, starting to work with larval dispersal modeling <laughs> and, you know, dipping my toe into it and being like, well, none of this is real. How is this useful? You <laughs> yeah. know, but then I yeah. guess, you know, over time, I kind of, it got hammered home that, you know, no model is correct but some of them are useful so you know they let you test things that you could never test otherwise which is super nice so I don't know I think I'm a reformed simulation hater I used to not really buy into it now you know I kind of see how cool they can be as a tool so yeah I mean for me I also I'm always I always think you know well what if you know this happened or what if that happened Mm-hmm. and and you know or or you know what if we assume this or you know is this yeah. going on and so i i just think i mean like just just cure you know it's just great if you're someone that's really curious about stuff because you can yeah. like, you just you know simulate to <laughs> no that's true it's like a little content. hypothesis playground you're like ooh, let's tweak this <laughs> yeah but also, I guess, you know, I was kind of surprised. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, calibration and validation that, that mm-hmm. is involved too. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of work has been done to, uh, you know, develop ways to, you know, sort of build confidence in the model outputs as well, mm-hmm. which is, which is, which is really cool. I mean, it, and it's pretty, it's pretty interesting when you kind of see, you know, studies where they 
use different models to look at the same question and you know you, yeah. you know they come you know more or less to the same conclusion it's really kind of neat when you see stuff like that happen mm-hmm. yeah so. and i think it's neat too to you know think about how these models get assembled and when you're in the process of putting something together like that i think it makes you think about the system and what's actually going on so deeply to try and you know, capture the effects that you're interested in. Um, so I, I think I like that aspect about it too, that it's like you're almost getting under the hood of what's actually going on out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have like this, the model does, the model only knows what you tell it. And yeah. so if, if you want to simulate a process, you need to tell the model like how that process works. So you, you, re- you really have to think about, you know, what is going on in, in your, yeah, I remember, yeah, that it's, that's a really, yeah, that's a really, I think, mm-hmm. helpful insight. And it's also pretty neat because it definitely, it, it really pushes you to, to think about that process in, in detail Yeah, and, and, and think about how do you want to represent, how do you want that process represented? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really fun. It's also very hard. So <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, I am. I am, I guess I should, for the listeners, I am not an ecosystem model. I a modeler. <laughs> yeah, you're using I, it as a tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 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 uh, I mean, I will say that it's uh, what has been helpful is learning about ecosystem models and and thinking about ways that uh, they can be improved either by providing different data streams mm-hmm. or thinking about processes differently or maybe addressing some of the assumptions that are made in these models because you know there's a lot that there's a lot of you know subjective decisions that that have to be made when you're building these things because there's yeah. you know the, you don't have you yeah know, you can't there's, perfectly there's recreate everything <laughs> no exactly. one can know everything either that's the thing yeah <laughs> exactly and and i don't know in 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 my experience you know the people that work on these, the ecosystem modelers, like they want to make their models better and, mm-hmm. and they, they, they are always excited, you know, to, well, I should, I don't know if they're always excited, but <laughs> they've at least acted excited. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> I think they probably yeah. are. Yeah. To, to, you know, to, to kind of, you know, think about things differently or have some new data to put in there to uh, see if it, changes the yeah output. Well, that makes a ton of sense it is cool and it's you know just trying to get as good of predictions as we can i guess is the goal so if you have better data and <laughs> better information you know you can only go up from there really yeah yeah uh, yeah it's it's um uh, yeah i'm really uh, i'm really excited to see kind of where where things go mm-hmm. um as far as the ecosystem model models that, that get developed, but also how they, you know, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm interested to see how they get integrated into, you know, a- efforts to implement. Yeah. Like how these tools actually management. get used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're still sort of, you know, trying to figure out the best application. So. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Cause it's like early on in the process of, making fisheries management a little more, you know, (laughs) less single stock, more ecosystem-based. It's cool to 
I guess, facilitate that process from the get-go. So that is awesome. Um, and I think that kind of fills me in on what you've been up to. <laughs> so I think we can conclude um, the main part of the interview, but every episode, um, the hosts and I ask the same five questions of every guest. So to start off, what is your favorite fish? Yeah, this was... Um, it's a really tough one. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mind if you have multiple favorite fish because I had a really hard time with this question too, so... No, I mean, I can pick a, I can pick one. It's yeah. Just, it changes I, day to day. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would probably... It, this is... It, it may sound weird. It may sound odd. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I think... I would, if I were going to pick a favorite fish, it would be the mangrove rivulus. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, for the listeners, it's, it's, uh, uh, um, uh, these are hermaphroditic fish that are capable of self fertilization, which That's is cool. <laughs> I think is, uh, I think they're the, the only vertebrate that is capable of that. Uh, so they're simultaneous hermaphrodites. They also like live way back in the, the, the mangrove swamps and yeah. they can, they can, they can survive, you know, in like the damp leaf litter oh, cool. you know, for like, I, I, I want to, I can't, it's been a long time since I was like, been like, since I was, you know, read about them, the details yeah. of like longer than you would expect like two yeah. weeks in the day are they um, are they a species of killifish they look like killifish right? yeah um so I've, I've like you know worked with like mummy chogs and stuff and those little dudes are so resilient yeah <laughs> it's kind it's of insane. pretty it's pretty yeah it's pretty crazy so i, I was I, I was just like man this is this 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 is crazy yeah that's a really <laughs> there's a lot of pick. <laughs> there's I a know. lot of crazy there's oh, a lot of crazy fish dog. out there, but I mean, I, I self-fertilizing. Yeah, self-fertilization, that's fascinating. There, yeah, there are whole populations of just like these self-fertilizing little little fish. Yeah, I mean, well, I I should uh, I guess I should also say that there are, uh, you know, primary males as well that are, you yeah know, that so there is you know fertilization between individuals too. Mm-hmm. But, they're yeah which makes sense you know get yeah. some <laughs> diversity going on you know? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> there's benefits to that but yeah <laughs> that is cool <laughs> that they can just say you know what nope I'm doing it myself yeah how neat yeah because I mean I don't know thinking about grouper all day I've been dealing with my fair share of hermaphrodites but you know it's a little different when they've got both going on at the same time yeah <laughs> exactly really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Groovers are cool too. Yeah, I really like them. There's, there's I'm so a fan. Many cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the next question is, what is your favorite memory from your career so far? And I know that's also a toughie. So if you have other <laughs> multiple favorite memories, you know, fire away. Yeah, I guess there's probably, um, probably two. Mm-hmm. The first for sure would be my my first offshore trip in yeah. the Gulf. So I was a um, this was a summer between my junior and senior year mm-hmm. uh, at 
as at Stetson yeah. University where I did my undergrad. And um, we were, you know, part of the programs we were required to do an internship. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I emailed Chris Koenig at uh, the Florida State. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm you familiar should, with you his should, work. You should, you should, you should <laughs> familiar with Chris Koenig. Yeah. So I emailed Chris basically saying, like, look, I need to do an internship for my, uh, uh, for, for my major. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to pay me, uh, but <laughs> I'd really like to work with you like over the summer just to mm-hmm. learn stuff and also, you know, fulfill this requirement. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, sure. Come down and we'll talk. And uh, this was like a Wednesday. Yeah. And, and then, he, you know, we chatted and he was like, Hey, do you want to go offshore this weekend? And I was like, Oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like he didn't even know me and he was like, Hey, you want to go offshore? We went offshore for like two or three days on a, you know, a commercial bandit boat. Oh, that's tra- so cool. Trapping, trapping reef fish. No, yeah. Just like, man, this is, this is awesome. Man, that would be quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild. I mean, yeah. We were, we were out in Madison Swanson. Yeah. Uh, that's one of marine... my sites yeah. of interest. So very cool. Yeah. So Marine Protect Area is uh, up in the Florida panhandle. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, that sounds so cool. Yeah, thankfully, yeah, I mean, I didn't. It, yeah, it was. I, I almost. It, I was like, that was a. That was a really bold decision to, for him to just invite some <laughs> kid out he didn't even know out on a, a yeah, boat exactly. like that. For, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that worked out well. So, I mean, that that's definitely like you know, number one. But I think mm-hmm. my second would be uh when i was when i was an observer i uh i covered some uh longline boats in north carolina yeah uh, up in kill devil hills mm-hmm. and that was my first time um in that area yeah and it was just it was just the outer it was just incredible outer yeah. was phenomenal like the, mm-hmm. the, i was just yeah i i almost uh quit yeah (laughs) to to move up there and and uh, i really just wanted to move up there and fish Mm because it was just yeah coastal north carolina is awesome i've spent some time there for yeah interning in the past with nc state and um still try and go up to help out because they've got like a blue marlin tournament that we help out with and yeah (laughs) yeah anytime I can get back there I always try to because it's just such a cool place yeah we were one of the days that we were coming in it was you know just slick yeah not a ripple on the water and we're we're motoring in and we see two sailfish swimming side by side with their sails out of the water like next to each other it was just like and like I'm I'm looking and there are beach houses like right there. It was yeah. just, it was just like I was just like, oh my God. This is That's like awesome. heaven. This is like heaven on earth. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I know. I think um yeah, I think it's the next question, but it's like what is your dream job or location? And I'm pretty sure I said coastal north carolina is like one of the places i'd want to end up 
Yeah, I would love to work up there too. Uh, that would, it would, that would, yeah, that would probably be, that would probably be top for me too, at least professionally. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if my my, my wife would want to live out there, but <laughs> yeah. I would. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it takes someone who is definitely, you know, definitely wants to be there. <laughs> Otherwise, it might not be so fun. Yeah. 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 Yep. No, that's a great point. <laughs> and I mean, you know, Florida's not so bad. I like it here. There's a lot of overlap in the species too. So that's kind of fun. But Yeah. I love Florida. I mean, I'd be, you know, I'd be happy as a clam to yep. you know, <laughs> Same. spend my career here working. So, and I mean, to be honest, it would really, it would, it would probably be a toss up between Florida and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really like those areas. Yep. I think we're in the same boat on that one. Um, so the next question is, if money was no object, what is one project that you would want to do? Mm. I know that's really hard. <laughs> yeah, like... I, I, would say, I would say that's the hardest question out of all of mm-hmm. them. But um, I, 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 would, I, I would have to say, so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to know how, you know, I would be really interested to know how these sort of like species, uh, how these species are using these reef tracks and yeah. how, how things kind of the pro like the influences of processes at, you know, the reef level and then maybe like, and then, you know, the regional level, I don't want to yeah. say the regional level, but um, in, in a lot of areas, you have like these kind of like patches of reefs or like these mm-hmm. strips of ridges and they're kind of, you know, disconnected, but like, you know, the species are kind of all moving around and mingling and using them, some of them, but not all of them. And yeah. so kind of understanding, you know, the species that are either, you know, you know, are mostly interacting, mm-hmm. you know, within a single reef and, uh, coupling getting an idea of of the trophic processes there and how they're being coupled by some of these more mobile species yeah and kind of like building out oh i see like what you mean there. yeah like trying to couple those scales almost yeah exactly coupling different spatial sta- yeah basic spatial but also you know temporal scales mm-hmm. i mean i'm assuming that a, a species that's hanging out you know a tiny species on a reef is probably that population's turning over pretty quick yeah probably <laughs> that's true so like the, the the factors that that's that fish is responding that individual is responding to are different than the factors that you know say a bigger snapper are responding to and so mm-hmm. kind of understanding that relationship yeah that's really so interesting something along those lines but um or i mean if it would be possible to develop night vision goggles and go scuba diving <laughs> yeah I would really i would really want to know what goes on on the reefs at night like if you were to go through without a flashlight they have you know they have you know a a ditson and other sort of you know sonar type equipment to do it but you can't Mm -hmm. get you can't get you don't always get the best species id and yeah so anyway yeah exactly they're kind of fuzzy images of the fishes but so i if i if i could have funds and there's 
nothing that would prevent me from developing night vision goggles underwater goggles i think both of those would be awesome projects (laughs) so (laughs) i just don't know if the night vision goggles for underwater would work so yeah i don't know if i mean there's only one way to find out gotta get some tech wizard on that (laughs) yeah Yeah. if you ever do those projects let me know because that sounds really cool (laughs) i would love to try underwater night vision that'd be awesome would be sweet well that brings us to the last question so if there was kind of one point or idea that you wish you could program into everybody's head just automatically what would that be um hmm. yeah I, i guess i would say uh uh probably work uh work hard take chances and follow through maybe nice i love it (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's a great point awesome well thank you so much justin for coming on the show it was really cool to hear about everything you're doing so yeah i had a great time thanks for thanks for having me on yeah, of course. When you develop those night vision goggles, you can have you back on. <laughs> You'll be the first person I call. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> if you want to find out more information or get a hold of Justin, you can reach him by email at justin.lewis at ufl.edu. That's J-U-S-T-I-N dot L-E-W-I-S at ufl.edu. If you would like to get a hold of me, You can find me or the rest of the hosts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or old-fashioned email feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Hannah. Thank you for listening to the 167th episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, work hard, take chances, and follow through.